Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring former world number one and seven-time Grand Slam champion Matt Spielander, former Texas Longhorn, two-time All-American Johnny Levine, and your host of KickServeRadio.com, Andy Zoden. Take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Thank you very much. Welcome to KickServeRadio.com. Tonight is something about Mary, and you will find out why very shortly. First of all, though, I will introduce the KickServeRadio.com team. I am Andy Zoden, Director of Tennis at Columbine Country Club in Denver, Colorado, joined by my former Longhorn teammate, Johnny Levine, a two-time All-American at the University of Texas. Johnny, uh, you live in a hot part of the country, and it's a hot spot in more ways than one. Are you staying healthy? Are you staying safe? How you doing? Trying to stay safe, Andy. Arizona does have a lot of cases right now. Uh, I think hopefully people are starting to put their masks on. I think for a while there, um, no one really took it too seriously, but we're hoping uh, that things get better for sure. And, of course, the star of our show is the great Mats Vilander. He is former world number one, seven-time major champion. He lives in Haley, Idaho, where he is the owner of Gravity Tennis and Fitness. And in Haley, Idaho, they certainly don't have a tough time social distancing, Mats. In fact, rumor has it you even had to bring in a cow to make a fourth for doubles one day. Is that true? <laughs> Andy, great to be with you. Great to be with you too, Johnny. Uh, yeah, uh, Idaho is obviously a, a great place to social distance, but um, we had our uh, hot spot with Corona early in the year. I think our county was uh, was the hottest Corona spot in uh, the United States of America for a while. Now we're good. We have a lot of visitors, a lot of tourism, so it's coming back a little bit better. We're doing a lot better than then um, uh, Arizona and Florida. So thanks, Andy. All right, very good. And of course, our special guest tonight had a very solid career as a professional. Matter of fact, she won a major, I believe it was 1977, when she teamed with John McEnroe to win the mixed doubles at Roland Garros. She has had an amazing career, not just as a tennis analyst, not just as a sports journalist, but just a journalist in general for the last two, three decades working for the likes of ESPN, CBS, PBS, MSG, HBO. Now she's with NBC and, of course, Tennis Channel. And she has been recognized by Sports Illustrated as the top tennis analyst in the business. And, of course, I speak of the one and only Mary Carrillo. Mary, we are so excited to have you with us on KickServeRadio.com. Welcome. Andy, thank you, Johnny Motz. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. And I am I am in one of the hot spots of uh, the coronavirus. I'm right in Naples, Florida, and this place is on fire. Wow. Um, Mary, obviously you've done a lot. I've seen you cover the Olympics. Uh, I know you covered dog shows uh, around America. <laughs> First of all, are you more of an expert, I'm assuming, in the field of tennis than other, uh, other activities? And is that why you sort of came back to tennis again? Mats, are you questioning my Cocker Spaniel knowledge? Because I'm already insulted. <laughs> I've been on the show for less than two minutes. <laughs> um, tennis is the only sport I'm fluent in, but I love covering. I love covering all sports. I love the athletic heart. I love watching it, talking about it. I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be leaving today, believe it or not, for Tokyo for the 2020 Summer Olympics, which would have been my 15th Olympics. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I absolutely, I, I'm, I'm 
crushed to be missing it. I'm, and I'm also sure that a lot of the older tennis players are crushed to be missing it. I think it's one of the things that, that Roger Federer wanted to win more than anything in 2020. And Serena, surely Venus, I think it's one of the reasons she hung around, was hoping to win yet more gold uh, in an Olympic Games. I love covering other sports because I love watching other athletes. I like excellence in any form. And that includes dog shows. I've also, believe it or not, for Hallmark Channel, I did three or four kitten bowls, which is uh, uh, one of my proudest moments. (laughs) I love animals. I cannot imagine going through a pandemic without, without household pets. And I've got a couple of them and they keep me going. Mary, um, first of all, pleasure to have you on and uh, congratulations on just an amazing career. It's nice to have a second uh, major on our show here. We've got Matt's always, and now we had a second. We've, we've had Jim Courier. We've had Yvonne Lendl. So we have a great streak going. You're keeping it alive. Uh, Thank you, Mary. Well, I, I, I've always rushed to, uh, rushed to clarify that in winning the 77 mixed doubles with Macro, it was his first major and it was my last. <laughs> That's funny. Um, with the U.S. Open coming up soon, hopefully it'll it'll – be here and uh, it'll take place. I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, the player field. Definitely might not have the top guys, Mm. um, all the top guys. It'll be kind of a mixed field. Depending on who wins it, would you potentially put an asterisk on this U.S. Open victory for for the person that wins it? Just curious your thoughts on that. I, I think it's a it's a very good question. It's, the question's probably better than the answer. It would depend on who were to – like, all right, we know Roger's not coming. Uh, Nadal – there was a video posted of Nadal today on Twitter. He's practicing on clay. I think a lot of people are going to – I think the big problem for the U.S. Open at this stage is that though the USGA seems and Governor Mario Cuomo of New York seem able to waive the quarantines for players who want to come into New York – they have no jurisdiction on players who want to get back to Europe. There's still, it seems there's still a two week quarantine going back. So I think that, and there's a, the artificial biosphere in New York is going to be tough for a lot of players. I think, I think there might be a bunch of players who decide not to come over and just stay on the clay and play, you know, Rome and Madrid and, and Roland Garros. I mean, that's my guess. I think maybe more men than women might do that. Serena has already acknowledged that she's already said I'm playing. She actually entered a tournament in Lexington, Kentucky in the coming weeks to get some matches because obviously she wants to tie Margaret Court for 24 majors. That's going to be the single biggest story of the 2020 U.S. Open if it happens. But I got to think, do you marginalize it if the top guys don't show up, if Nadal's not there and Roger's not there, and if Djokovic decides not to come? My gut tells me right now that if it's somebody like Dominic Team, you know, who's come close, been to a couple of major finals, or, you know, it's... You know, if it's a guy like maybe Paz or, you know, then maybe we'll say, all right, that's, that's, a, but if it's somebody off the beaten track and it's, and if the draw was, is soft, then I think a lot of us might say, ah, I don't know. But my feeling right now is that if after half a year of no professional tennis, some guy shows up and wins seven matches, three out of five sets, I'm going to give him the title. I, where, do, where do you guys land on that? <laughs> Matt, what do you think? Well, I mean, the, the John Cordes, the great Czechoslovakian uh, 
tennis player in the 70s, of course, won Wimbledon when uh, most players boycotted Wimbledon because of Nicky Pilic, uh, in those days, Yugoslavian, and he wasn't allowed to play. And there's no asterisk next to John Kodish winning. Bjornborg made the quarterfinals, lost to Roger Taylor as a 17-year-old. So I think with time, um, we, will, we won't talk about this in that way. But I think you know, this moment, a great time for a young American to step up and really grab a semifinals or a finals, get some ranking points, get tennis on the, on the map again on the men's side in America. And I think Americans watching tennis, I don't think they care if Roger Federer is not there, if an American does well and maybe wins it. I think they've given the major. So I think this is an unbelievable opportunity for, for the American men. Mary, uh, you know, Matt makes a good point. With Jan Kodish winning in 73, there were a lot of political swirls going around the men's game at that time. And, and the ATP has had its fair share of issues over the past couple of years. Uh, we're also dealing with a lot of social unrest that's going on in and outside the sport of tennis. If, if Arthur Ashe were still around, how much of a sort of calming influence uh, voice of reason, overall difference maker, could could Arthur have potentially been both in and out of the sport of tennis, in your opinion? I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough to to know Arthur to do some work with him as well. Um, yes, he was a voice of calm. He was very, he was a very thoughtful guy. He had to decide, he had to weigh so many things just to live his day-to-day life. I mean, Arthur and Billie Jean, obviously, they have both lived their lives as activists. So yeah, I think Arthur... Arthur could have given us uh, a lot to a lot to consider, and I think he probably would have told us how to go about this. But it's I've been very interested this summer in watching the teenager Coco Goff take a stand and and speak out the way she has and and reference her grandmother who had has she's she's watched her grandmother struggle through uh, civil rights and and and. Coco is very well spoken and she's decided to speak out and somebody who's always been to my mind a lot more socially awkward than Coco uh, Naomi Osaka has picked up the activist baton as well and I'm just impressed that those two fine young players of color have decided to declare themselves in those ways more so than a lot of the veterans who could be speaking up right now so I'm very impressed by the fact that they want to take a stand. And I've been talking to Billie Jean King a lot lately because we're roommates at Wimbledon for, I don't know, for the last 20 years. So we're used to spending this, that fortnight together. And, um, and Billie said to me that she really feels, you know, in the days when Muhammad Ali uh, was excoriated for taking a stand against Vietnam and Bill Russell, you know, the great Celtics NBA player, all these players over the years have gotten, in, you know, uh, by taking a stand, they lost fans, they lost sponsorship, they lost a lot of money, whatever. Billy now feels that it will be part of the brand of players, of athletes, especially players of color, to speak out. And in fact, it will make them money. And I think that's very interesting when you see big companies like Nike reward players, celebrate players who are willing to put themselves out there. And that is a huge turnaround. That is not something that if we're speaking in the days of Arthur Ashe, that is a big, big change and one that could truly resonate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that you start talking about America because I wanted to ask you that. We, we hear people say that tennis or professional sports, it's entertainment. Uh, but then you tennis brought somebody like Arthur Ashe, Billie Jean King. Uh, and uh, uh, obviously Roger Federer has his great foundation. Rafa does, Novak does, Serena. Everyone does so many great things. So do you ever feel that? Well, hold on a second. 
No, it's not about entertainment. It's about educating uh, the, the world of sports or people that are watching tennis. And, and it's a platform to relay your message more than pleasing the crowd with uh, sort of between the legs shots. What, how do you feel about that? Um, first, I want to say that I, dr I truly feel that between the leg shots, the tweeners have gotten out of hand. In the last, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, some sometimes they're totally unnecessary and random. Yeah. And I'm like, why, why did you do that? Why didn't you just sit open? But that aside, <laughs> I think you have to decide, and it's very personal. You have to decide what to do with your own personal power. I happen to admire people like LeBron James and and you know you know athletes that do you know Colin Kaepernick. I mean, this is these are these are people who do understand their power and, and the weight of their voice. And they decide what to do with it. And, and again, it goes both ways, but they're okay with that. I, I'm, I'm a great admirer of that. Yeah, Mary, back to the tennis part of it a little bit. Uh, you talked about golf and you talked about Osaka's voice, which is great. But for the Open, assuming you know they all play, um, what do you think of this new crop with, with those two, Kenan and Andrescu? Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on those girls and then potentially any other young women's tennis player that, that might be under the radar that we might want to be thinking about for the Open? I'm a huge fan of uh, Andrescu. Uh, she's just got a great tennis brain. You can just, uh, and she's, I love her, the way she competes. I love that she, she has so much variety in her game um, and that she doesn't shrink in the big moment. She walks onto a big stadium and it's, she takes up every bit of it. Um, not all great players feel that way, but she walks in onto Ash Stadium or, you know, any other big court, any of us, it's like, give me the ball. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. So she was my favorite player of last year. Sophia Kennan is, a, she is so, um, I love how she plays because she just never, she's got this great tunnel vision. I don't know if you can keep that up for 20 years. <laughs> Um, I hope she has a, you know what I mean? She's just so, she just seems oblivious to the pressure. And I really like that about her. Amanda Anasimova uh, looked like she was on a really nice looking run last year. And then her dad died right before the U.S. Open last summer. And I think that, I think she lost a lot of traction there. But she too is a very fine, I mean, there's a lot of good young players that I like. And again, the U.S. Open might be a big, big chance for them to break through and, and have a big win. Serena, this is always, the U.S. Open is always the, the tournament where she loses it the most, where she feels the most pressure. More often than not, this is the last tournament she plays in the season. So she attaches a lot of weight to the last major of any season. And any big blow-up she's ever had seems to have come in New York, whether it's Kleister's in the semis all those years ago or Sam Stozer in the U.S. Open final where Stozer beat her or a couple of years ago against Osaka last year against Andrescu. I mean, the U.S. Open is fraught for Serena because she cares so much. So I think the big story will be, can Serena do it? And I, I keep thinking she's going to do it uh, and go beyond 24. Um, or will one of these young players say, give me the ball, let's go, I'm ready. Uh, Mary, I'm, I'm interested to, to know when you come on screen, you seem to have, um, you're not calm, which is good. <laughs> You're very energetic, which I love. Everybody loves that. But you have a certain confidence about you. Where do you think 
your confidence or somebody that is in front of the camera as much as you, where does the confidence come from? Um, I, I think um, I, I really like what I do and I get, I'm very enthusiastic. I have a lot of energy for a 63 year old grandmother. I became a, my daughter had a baby <laughs> half a year ago. So congrats. Thank you very much. Um, so I seem to have a lot of energy and, um, and I think what makes me calm or confident, I'm not sure what I bring, but I think it's because I feel like I'm prepared. I mean, it's like anything. It's like everything that you guys do, it's the same thing. If you feel like you own it, all right, I've done my research. I've watched some practice. I went to the press conference. I, I feel, I, I talked to her agent. I, you get, you, if you feel like you, you know what you're talking about, you're ready for that. And, um, you know, you, you, your voice is worth listening to in, in a particular match. I think that it at once calms me down and revs me up. So it's a kind of a fun balance. I get into a booth really early. I work with John McEnroe uh, for NBC at the French Open every year. He shows up like they're about to say, you know, go. Like, <laughs> and John shows up and he's, you know, drinking coffee and he's been out practicing. John McEnroe can do that <laughs> and start looking at his notes as the match begins. And I've spent the night before, like, looking at stuff, looking at our research, look at, you know, going over tapes. Like, I've never caught – I don't even know who – is she a lefty? I, I better watch one of her matches. Like, I'm, I'm a little – I'm a nerd is what I am. I think you're a champion, Mary, winning the French in 77 with, with McEnroe, and I'm a champion. I mean, I won a, a big title with my wife here in Colorado, so those mixed doubles titles are big. <laughs> well, Mary, listen, we cannot possibly tell you how much we appreciate the time spent, and hopefully we can do this from time to time. Now, I tracked you down at, at Indian Wells. We were in a presser together. I think it was with Simona Halep. I don't know if you remember me saying hello. I remember that. Uh, but all it took was a call from Mass Vlander to get you on with us. Lo and behold, here you are. So as, as Johnny said, um, what you've done over the course of the last, I thought it was 20, 30 years. He said it was 40 years. But what you've done and inside of the, in and outside of the sport of tennis has been, has been fabulous journalism. You've taken on some very difficult topics. I'll never forget uh, the Bob Hewitt segment on, on Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. I know that was a tricky one for you, but uh, what you've done has been amazing, will continue to be amazing. And for you to take time to join us, we really, really appreciate it. Andy, Johnny Mutz, anytime you call me, I'll say yes. All right, you heard that, guys. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Mary. Yeah, be well, stay safe, and uh, take care of yourself and everybody you love. All right, guys. Kiss the ones who count. Yes. Thank you, Mary. Welcome back, everybody, to kickserveradio.com. Something about Mary. Boy, did we enjoy time spent with Mary Carrillo. And, Matt, I want to start with you. Mary made the point that – where she gets her juice, if you will, what makes her who she is, is based on preparation. And, you know, she works with John McEnroe. She made the point that Johnny Mac can kind of come in, you know, come in hot, seat of his pants and still be one of the best in the business. And, it, you know, she's up all night preparing. Kind of where do you fall into that, you know, pantheon of, of, of preparation? How much time do you spend before you go into the booth to do what you do? You know, Andy, it, it, it obviously uh, depends on exactly what it is. If I go in to commentate uh, a match, a big match, I know that I'm prepared because I've watched every single match possible uh, in the last 10 years since I've been working for years. But I've watched every match that, that let's say, Roger Federer has played 
in this particular Grand Slam that he's now in the semifinals or the finals. Um, so I know what I, I know that I, I know the details. The reason I asked Mary is that I feel that I get my confidence, and I'm not. I always tell people, listen, I'm not claiming that I am right. Um, I think I'm right half the time and wrong half the time. But I rest my myself on my passion. I think for the sport because I. I'm always telling myself and everybody, no one cares more about tennis than you. There are people that care as much, but I, I think you have a hard time. And I always tell myself, no one really cares more than you. So there, there is your confidence. I want the best for the game. I really don't care who's playing in the finals. I want the best match possible. I'm going to tell, the, tell them my story about how do we get the best match. And then... Uh, I let my passion and my um, be my inspiration. I think, and I'm sure I've uh, you know irritated a lot of people over the years, and I'm sure I will in the future too. Uh, but I do speak from um, from passion that I love the sport and I want the best for the sport. And you've irritated Johnny and myself on a number of occasions. We'll, we'll go past man. that right now. And Johnny, before I go to you, Matts, I do want to ask you. You know, you you once made the comment that you feel that. Uh, how far you've gone in the sport is kind of what gives you license to have certain opinions on certain things so that when you go into the booth, every time you go into the booth, you're a seven-time major winner. You're a former number one in the world. Does that allow you to formulate and offer certain opinions that otherwise you might not be able to? I, I don't actually think it's a matter of allowed. I am now allowed because I've won seven. I think it's my duty. Uh, I think it's not my right. It's my duty. You have uh, tennis has given me so much and it's my duty to share my experience. And again, some people will will take it and, and maybe run with it. And some people will completely disagree. But I have been uh, at the top of the game and I've been in the 11 Grand Slam finals. So I think that I need to share my experience and maybe one just one person might learn something from it. And it'll make them a better tennis player or a, a happier tennis player. Uh, and in the end, it's for the good of the game. And Johnny, have you been to 11 major finals? No. Have you won seven Grand Slam uh, singles titles? No. But you have had a career that a guy like myself would obviously, you know, give give his left arm for getting to the top 100 in the world, doing what you did as a junior player, doing what you did as a collegiate player at the University of Texas, a two-time All-American. You certainly have plenty to say about what you think of some of the analysts and commentators and announcers, and some of them are friends of yours. You grew up with Paul Anacone. You got to know Patrick McEnroe pretty well. Of the guys that are out there right now, who are the ones that, boy, if you know they're going to call that match, you know they're going to get it right. The one actually probably closest to Brad Gilbert. You know, I played played a lot with Brad, played right. doubles with him, and he, he actually – when a semester at ASU, I was pretty friendly with Brad, and I actually think he's a great commentator. I, I enjoy Brad's commentary a lot. Um, you know, some people might not, but you know that's what makes horse racing, right? So he he's a guy that um, that I think is very knowledgeable and and comes up with some great lines, and he's he's got a good uh, zest to his to his commentary. Um, I actually think and have thought for years. It was interesting that Mary said that that John just walks in cold and 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 he's on his game I, because I I think John Macro is a great commentator. I love his 
not his, the way he, you know, talks about dissects guys and, and is very forward thinking and, and um, straightforward on his, his uh, viewpoints on the tennis. I think he does a great job is, and he's done it for a long, long time. And I think that people don't recognize um, what a great career he's had after tennis and commentating. Um, it's really amazing what he's done. So I've always thought John McEnroe was great. And of course, I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. I'm a big Robbie Koenig fan. I like his style. You know, one of the things about this preparation thing is that I'll go in and do a radio show with three bullet points written down on a napkin and I'll talk for two hours because I think I'm a fan of the spontaneity of sports talk radio, uh, which is a little bit different than going in and calling a tennis match. Now, speaking of going in and calling tennis matches, Matt, you talked in the previous segment when we were talking to Mary about the possibility of going to Europe for two months and being quarantined in the French Open and the U.S. Open. And how stressed out are you about all of that right now? And I mean, seriously, there's a lot to, there's your family's, you know, got to be a consideration for you. What's going through your mind right now with all this? Yeah, you know, um, I spoke to uh, Eurosport today, and uh, I, I, the situation is uh, such that uh, so far I've, we've understood that ESPN uh, are the only commentators and media uh, people that are going to be allowed at the U.S. Open. But now there might be an exception here and there. Uh, Eurosport is obviously the broadcast uh, host of Europe. Um, but at the same time, we have a, a studio in London where we are going to do most of our shows for the U.S. Open and maybe even for the French Open. So we don't really know. Things are changing so fast. And I think with this whole virtual uh, situation, where you can actually be anywhere. So now it's a matter of where do you look the best? Where, where is the best studio location? Where is the most convenient? So I'm not stressed, Andy, but I've never been as uncertain to where am I going uh, what does the next, not just two months look like, but what does the next five years look like for somebody like me in this business? Am I going to sit at home on the sofa and doing, doing all of it? Or am I going to go to a different city because we have a big studio there? I don't know. Um, doesn't really stress me out. It's good for my golf game. Um, it's good for my uh, tennis teaching business at Gravity Fitness and Tennis. So um, I'm all right with all of it. But, um, I, you know, when we start talking about the U.S. Open, yes. Let's go. Let's go. I want to see guys and girls uh, in the heat of the battle again. I want to see them uh, stressed out, uh, excited, and I don't care if it's Roger Federer or if it's somebody that you haven't heard of. Put them on Arthur Ashe Stadium, uh, and uh, the challenge uh, is going to be very interesting. Speaking of Gravity Fitness and Tennis, let's hear a word about Gravity Fitness and Tennis right now. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's V-Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven-time, yep, that's right, seven-time Grand Slam champion Matt's V-Lander now owns Gravity Tennis and Fitness. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, Lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I had never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. 
you will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with Mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with Mats, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to MatsVLanderTennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. Okay, we're back on KickServeRadio.com. Johnny, we talked before we were talking about Gravity Fitness and Tennis, which is Matt's club in Eliado, about whether Matt's is stressed about uh, the whole situation with commentating and possibly having to go to Europe for a couple of months or not. As a tournament owner, how stressed and uncertain are you about the future of what may happen with the Arizona Tennis Classic, which you did such a fabulous job with in 2019. Of course, Matteo Berrettini came in there and won that thing. He was 57 in the world. When he won it, he ends the year eight in the world. Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski, a couple of great Brits, would win the doubles there. So you had a hell of a field, and you had another great-looking field going into 2020. But now going into 2021, it's got to be somewhat uncertain for you. You've got to be feeling a little bit skittish about what may or may not happen going into the the coming year on the ATP tour, I would have to think. Yeah. I mean, we were really looking forward to the tournament this year. We, we learned a lot the first year, Andy, and uh, we, our sponsors were really excited. Um, we were three days from starting the tournament and uh, we were actually putting the infrastructure in on the, the stands in the stadium and, you know, hotels were set for the players. Um, we, the first year we had six guys in the top 50. We had probably half the field in the top hundred for the, for, for the first year. And then this last year before Indian Wells canceled, we, we had a very similar field. I, I got to believe it's the, the, the best challenger field of any in the whole year in the world because of sandwich between Indian Wells and Miami. So we were super excited. Um, the club that we were having the event at was was really pumped up for it. And then we just, it's just like everything just blew up, you know, three days before. With Indian Wells canceling, we we ended up getting a lot of requests for guys in the top 30. I mean, they were looking for a place to play. Uh, Tennis Channel wanted to run um, full coverage for the week. I mean, it was crazy. So we, we, we got super excited for what was about to happen. And then it just, we got the wind taken out of us. And uh, for next year, I mean, it's just so hard to think, you know, Andy, running a tournament, we've talked a lot about it. It is so intense. There's so much work behind it. You know, we had a hundred volunteers lined up. The amount of work that goes into putting on a tournament, there's so many different facets of it. Um, and this is when things are normal, uh, that, that how difficult it is. Now to think about running a tournament with everything that's going on, it, it, it just, it makes it really, really difficult to think about it. My sponsors um, were all prepared to come back for next year and, and they would, I, I believe they would, but you know, we can't really run an event without having fans there because they're the ones, you know, our, our sponsors are paying. They're, they're not just going to put up money and not be able to enjoy the benefits of, of the socialization of the tournament. So 
Uh, I just I just think it's too early to make a decision, too too early to think about it until we get to um, you know after the U.S. Open and and maybe some of the tournaments that are scheduled. Um, uh, you know, I, I do think that um, our our interest in it is still there. However, um, we're a little bit deflated, honestly, um, from what happened and where we're at today. So we'll just have to see what happens. Guys, I got a, I got a question for you too, uh, Andy and Johnny, um, because you're obviously huge tennis fans and you must probably watch everything that you can possibly get your eyes on for uh, either through Tennis Channel or ESPN or whatever channel. Uh, I'm sure you guys are streaming as well. It, when you guys would watch uh, the US Open, does it have to be played on the Arthur Ashe Stadium? Because that's the, that's the look of the US Open. Uh, that's their brand. Uh, because there'll be nobody in the stands. And that's going to be a really weird situation. But does the U.S. Open, in your eyes, uh, have to be played on Arthur Ashe Stadium? Or could they move out to court two, where it's a little bit easier um, for the players maybe to, to deal with wind and so, and, and so on? For me, uh, I, I would love to see it move down to a smaller court. But for you guys, tennis buffs, what do, what do you think, Andy? Well, you know, obviously, Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm skimming through and I'm looking at Tennis Channel and I'm seeing tennis matches being played without fans. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching practice right now. I'm watching a couple of guys out on the tennis court playing tennis. And so it's really hard for me to feel as though I'm watching something that's any anywhere close to what it was that when you were playing Yvonne Lendl in front of 20,000 people at the U.S. Open. To me, the pressure of playing in front of a crowd like that has a lot to do with what I love watching. When I used to even watch Johnny play in front of the college crowds that he would play in front of at the University of Texas, the pressure that comes with playing in front of a crowd like that, I think, is what makes it so special to watch you guys play under those kinds of circumstances. And to see it in front of nobody just isn't the same. So here's what I propose that you guys, Johnny Levine and Matt Vilander, collaborate on an event in Phoenix, Arizona, where instead of necessarily, if you decide, Johnny, that it's not the right thing to do to hold the challenger, that Matt's bring in Boris Becker and Stefan Edberg and Yvonne Lendl, and we bring in four legends and we do a power shares type of event in Phoenix where some of the, the people would be able to come out and come see people that they're familiar with. I think that that's how we need to reinvent the sport is to put people in front of personalities and names that they recognize and start to build the game back that way. Because right now for me to turn on the television and maybe watch a guy that's ranked 27 in the world play the guy that's 34 in the world, brilliant tennis players, do not get me wrong. But I got about five minutes for that. Yeah, it's been tough, um, Andy. You know, these exhibitions, I think guys have done a great job putting these events on and giving the, the, the players an opportunity to make some money. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so for that. From a, from a spectator standpoint, Matt, though, it's been hard for me to, to keep my interest when I turn them on. Um, you know, I, I was watching today was the first time that I kept, kept it on. I was actually working out on a bike and, and I was watching um, – I think the guy's name was um, it was uh, some South Americans, Tabanier and and Raymond Venolos, I think. And it actually, I was the first one I watched, and and this Tabanier guy was down like a lot of match points, and he came back and won. 
pretty easily in the tiebreak. I, but aside, I kind of got into it. I was working out, but it's just difficult. Like you said, Andy, with not seeing anyone in the stands and kind of the angle of the, of the cameras isn't great. Um, I, I think it's really tough without fans, really tough. All right, Matt's final word before we go to break, what you got? Well, they, the most interesting thing about talking about having fans is that, uh, to be 100% honest, the best players in the world, they don't need fans, okay? The, their, their biggest quality and biggest skill is that they want to win more than you do. I want to win more than you guys do on a tennis court when I was at my best, and I think that's the major difference between the players that win titles and the players that not. And I think the lower-ranked player, uh, the unknown, is actually going to deal with the crowd better or use the crowd to their advantage because there's no pressure. They're the underdog. Whereas the crowd for Roger Federer, everybody wants him to win all the time. And I think he feels the pressure. I think Roger Federer is going to love coming back playing in front of no people. Don't get me wrong. He loves people too, but he doesn't really care. He just doesn't want to lose to you, Andy. Can I dispute one player that I do think would want fans every single time in your era, Matt, maybe a little older. You got it. I think you might know who I'm thinking. Jimbo. Exactly. There's no question. I mean, he, 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 the guy plays for the fans. All right. When we come back, we got more to talk about because there's a couple of big items in the sport of tennis that I want to hear what Matt has to say. I want to hear what Johnny has to say. You're listening to kickserveradio.com. Something about Mary. We want to thank Mary Carrillo for joining us in the first segment tonight. She was fabulous. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. Kickserveradio.com. Something about Mary. We want to thank the great Mary Carrillo for joining us earlier in the show. And before we went to break, Johnny took issue with a comment that you made about playing in front of fans, Matt, and, and you said Roger Federer would be fine either way. Johnny Levine says Jimmy Connors would not be fine either way, that he needed the energy from the fans. Your retort to that? Oh, I don't think so necessarily. I think Jimmy Connors, uh, Ivan Lendl, they don't want to lose to you in front of no fans. They don't care. Uh, obviously, I think Jimmy was able to use the fans to his advantage in a way that I think uh, are very rare uh, in tennis. Um, I don't think he was able to use the fans to his advantage in Paris or at Wimbledon. Um, or in Australia, or anywhere else for that matter. But in New York City, uh, I think he put on the show there that uh, made us all realize that we should have used the fans more if we were able to. But, but yeah, these guys are so competitive, the best players in the world. And somebody like Rafa Nadal, no, he just doesn't want to lose to you. Okay, Mats Wielander, Leo Borg, 17-year-old son of Bjorn Borg, has committed to the Rafael Nadal Academy. A, is that a slap in the face of the Swedish Tennis Federation for the arguably greatest tennis player in the history of Swedish tennis? Your predecessor, with you being right there with Stefan Enberg as, as number two and three at a minimum, uh, is that a slap in the face of Swedish tennis, Leo Borg committing to Nadal? 
Uh, no, not at all. Um, we do not have a, a, a very powerful Swedish tennis association. We never have. Even when we uh, made the Davis Cup finals, I believe it was nine years in a row, Swedish Tennis Federation was uh, uh, not very powerful because we rely on our clubs and we have a great um, tennis as a lifestyle in Sweden and has been. Um, and our club system is very cheap to be a member and the Tennis Federation never really got involved. So I think the other way around a little bit that Sweden is still producing good players and a good enough player uh, that feels that he could do something serious if he goes to, and I would have to say that Rafa Nadal's Tennis Academy, if, if they teach what Rafa is all about on the court and on the practice court and the humility that he has, uh, not, not just as a person, but as a tennis player and the respect he has for the sport. If you can teach a kid that part, you're going to do very well uh, in the world of tennis. Now, whether you become a professional tennis player or a coach, I'm not sure. Leo Borg is very talented. Um, he makes way more mistakes than, than his dad. Obviously, every player does these days, but uh, he's a, a way more flashy than Bjorn. Um, I played doubles with Leo Borg uh, once, uh, and he said his goal was to hit one tweener and to hit one serve in that was faster than 180 kilometers an hour. And he was only about 12 years old at the time. So I think he did the tweener. I didn't think he'd do the other thing. So uh, he seems to love the game, and I, I wish him good luck. He's been our most promising young player in Sweden for the last four or five years, Leo Borg. So the pressure is on, which is maybe why it's good that he leaves Sweden. In our last edition of KickServeRadio.com, we were talking to the great Yvonne Lindell. We asked him what advice he would give to American tennis parents. What kind of a tennis parent is Bjorn Borg? Uh, Bjorn Borg is a tennis parent that doesn't say anything. Uh, he takes his kid around uh, to a lot of tournaments. Um, he is a tennis parent that his son thinks that the tennis parent doesn't know anything about tennis. Because Bjorn, you played 40, 50 years ago. What do you know about tennis in 2020? Okay. Yeah, that's the discussion at home there is what I understand. Johnny, as a parent, let's stay on that subject for just a quick minute. Mass has got four kids. You've got three boys. Did your boys understand what kind of a career you had, what kind of a player you had? Did you try to push them toward tennis at all? You know, with my boys, um, Andy, I introduced them to a lot of different sports. I mean, tennis to me was not one that I was necessarily wanting them to play. Um, they were introduced to it. Uh, I, I actually am a big fan of the team sports. I think that uh, team sports – can breed um, less selfish. I think, I think tennis players can, can, can become selfish as the individual sport. It's about you. It's, and, and it needs to be. Um, but I think the team sports, you can gain a lot out of it. They did like the tennis um, and they all played high school tennis and they enjoyed tennis. The one thing that I, I feel so good about having introduced them to tennis, which is what my dad had hoped for me is that tennis is, is somewhat of a lifetime sport, not quite like golf, but even, you know, last week we, we were at a place where they had grass courts and, and that they got me out on the court. Um, it was actually father's day and we played some doubles. I don't think anything gets better than that. The kids love, love to go out and hit still. So the fact that they still have a, 
uh, an enjoyment for the game and, and they follow the tennis, I think is fantastic. Um, and if they play in, you know, later in life uh, and continue to play it and enjoy it, I mean, that's what tennis is all about, really, ultimately. So where do you guys stand there? Because obviously uh, we have the very famous or infamous uh, case that is Nick Curios. Oh, yes. Uh, and, and sometimes he really, really looks like he enjoys the sport and he tries to, to hit ob obviously any trick shot in the book. Uh, he's tried it and he's made it because he's so talented. Uh, and then sometimes there's a lack of uh, a competitive edge when Nick Curios plays. Well, I think would most of us forgive him because he's he's an entertainer and he's fun to watch. But as a parent or as a coach, Andy, where do you stand there? I mean, how how important is it for your students to clearly enjoy hitting the tennis ball in many different ways compared to clearly not caring about winning and losing at times? Is is that disrespectful to the sport at the same time? Is he respecting the sport, uh, the, the finesse and the art that is hitting a tennis ball, Andy? Well, I think that in, in the case of Nick Kyrgios, he brings so many different dimensions to the sport of tennis that he's actually probably a net positive to the game, I would say. As Johnny and I have talked, Matt, you and I have talked, when I'm flipping through the channels and Nick Kyrgios is playing tennis, I'm I'm having a tendency to stop there for a while and see what's going on there. He's, as you have said to me in previous interviews, he is brilliant. There's no question that he is a genius on the tennis court. There are also times where you're thinking to yourself, my God, what is the matter with this guy, Nick Kyrgios? What's going on between the ears there that prevents him from realizing his potential and To me, his potential is that he could eventually be the number one player in the world with the amount of ability that he's got. And, and Johnny, I'll let you take it from there, and then Matt's have the final word on that subject. Nick Kyrgios, to me, is uh, – I, I don't think there's a player that I, would, that I enjoy watching more. At the U.S. Open last year, I mean – I remember him playing and I, you know, Stevie Johnson, I was going to be at that match. It was on the, um, the Louis Armstrong court and I watched him all of his matches in Washington. So when you go, when you look at his game, first of all, the guy's got one of the biggest serves in the world. It, that, that thing is a monster serve. It's out of control and it's, it's a sight to see. So I love watching that serve. And then he's got the huge forehand. He's just so entertaining to watch. You know, I, I sense, and I don't know for sure, that Matt struggles with him a little bit because of the tanking, you know, the disrespect for the game a little bit sometimes when he just goes into meltdown mode and he just tanks. And and I don't think, I, I you know, that that is a tough thing to watch and it's, it's, it's no fun um, to see when you know that he has so much talent. And, and, and it can happen at any time. I mean, the guy can just blow his mind and, and tank. And I think a lot of it has to do with how he handles the pressure and things like that. But when that guy's in the right mind, uh, he is just an insanely great player, um, tremendous talent, love that serve is, is, is off the charts, like I said. And um, I'm a huge fan of the guy. I really am. I, I have to say that I've seen enough good matches where Nick has been involved. Uh, one that comes to mind more than any is actually uh, a match in Miami when he played Roger Federer. And I think that Federer won in three, in three tiebreakers. Unbelievable match. Uh, so I, I think when Nick cares, 
he is as good for the game as any player that's ever played the game. Um, I think that we sometimes um, ask too much of players, ask that they should care uh, every single time that they step on a court. Sometimes we even ask that they should care about every single point they play. Uh, and, uh, and he's famously said as well uh, in a match when he played against Rafa Nadal in Acapulco last year that, that Rafa doesn't know what path I have taken to get to this point. And Rafa will say something about Nick not having a respect to his opponent. Um, so, yeah, I think that, though, uh, where, where I do not blame Nick Curious, I think that I blame the authorities of tennis, is that when you see a guy, and Nick Curious is that guy sometimes, hopefully never again, but when you see a player that's out there not trying, the authorities of tennis has to step in and say, hey, you are not playing anymore. You don't want to play. You don't want to play that point. Well, then you don't get to play. Take him off the court, and that's it. You don't even have to find him. He's defaulted. You're out of here. So you're out of the tournament. Go to the next tournament. Great. I'm sure Nick is even happy about that. So to suspend Nick for three months uh, last year because of what he did in Cincinnati, no, that's the wrong punishment. Nick wants to be suspended for three months. He doesn't want to play tennis all the time anyway. So I think that the tennis authorities have always been very afraid of top players and the entertainers of our sport. And I think it will serve everyone well to just see if somebody is not trying, take him off the court. No problem. If he's not trying, means he doesn't want to be there anyway. So, no, I applaud Nick Curious for standing up for uh, himself. And I applaud him for actually uh, speaking his mind during these very... Uh, difficult times with the coronavirus and having a word about Novak Djokovic and, and having a bit of a, a, a debate going on with the great Boris Becker. So, no, I applaud Nick Curious. I think that he uh, uh, is a great player and he has a chance of winning a major. But I do think that the authorities sometimes have to lay the hammer down and say, whoops, Nick, that's it. You're out. Well, whether he feels it's important uh, to win at a high level or not, he certainly felt that it was important to call out Sasha Zverev recently Absolutely. with respect to his approach toward uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, when we come back real quick, just a word real quickly from Evolve Vacation Rentals, as well as Chief Operating Officer of the USPTA, Fred Biancos. Be back real quick, right after this. This is Sarah Zoden for Evolve Vacation Rental. You know I love my travel, be it for tennis or just for fun. And that's where Evolve Vacation Rental comes in. Now that we're getting back to some fun, with Evolve, fun is easy. Evolve provides verified rentals, the best online marketplace rates, and a rest easy promise for every vacation rental. With over 14,000 properties, you are sure to find a vacation home that is calling to you. So dust off your travel destination bucket list and go to EvolveVacationRental.com to book your next vacation rental. That's right. Go to EvolveVacationRental.com. We're joined by United States Professional Tennis Association Chief Operating Officer Fred Biancos. Fred, 2020 has been a tough year for tennis pros, but they have an opportunity because of what's going on with USPTA and USTA to get their dues paid for Talk us through that program. It has been a tough year, but um, in our cooperation and working with USTA, um, we're going to be able to offer free dues for members in good standing for 2021. And to be in good standing, uh, 
means that you have to have your dues paid up for 2020 and then to be safe play compliant, which is includes the, the background screening to make uh, all of our pros the, the safest possible for the uh, tennis playing public. And then also be current with your education. So uh, if you can manage to do all that before October 1st, which is the deadline, then you will have free dues for the 2021 uh, calendar year. Although there won't be a live world conference in New Orleans as it was planned for September, there will be a virtual world conference. It looks like a great alternative. It looks like you guys are playing it safe and being responsible. Talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, unfortunately, we're, we you know we had to cancel the the live uh, conference for September, but we found a really cool platform where we can have a virtual conference. It'll be just like attending a normal conference. So it's pretty exciting stuff. We're going to have a top notch list of presenters and experts. We're planning to have fifteen sessions throughout the three days on September twenty first through the twenty third, and have it be really interactive and and a, a pretty cool experience. Some pretty good swag and some good motivation to register early. 99 bucks, 79 if you're safe play compliant, correct? Yes, correct. We have two deadlines, October 1st for the free dues to be safe play compliant, and then also uh, December 31st uh, in order to be able to rejoin and be a member in good standing come 2021. He's Fred Biancos. He's Chief Operating Officer of the United States Professional Tennis Association. Freddie, thanks so much for all you do, and thanks for joining us here on KickServeRadio.com today. Thanks, AZ. Last word, guys. Um, Johnny, you uncovered a story uh, over the course of the past week. Gambling and the sport of tennis is back in the news. Tell us what you uncovered. It's not pretty. It continues to... Uh, rear its ugly head, and it's something that if it's not dealt with harshly, it's going to continue what you got. Well, what I read, Andy, on the ESPN tennis section was that um, there was a couple suspensions, long suspensions. I guess a tournament director uh, that runs some ITF events in Greece was involved in some betting uh, for a number of years, and um, he also had some sort of corruption on knowing some stuff that was going on and didn't report it. So he got fined 20 months and $6,000. And I think there was another uh, umpire in, um, in Europe that uh, was suspended for quite a long time because he had known that there was some gambling going on or was even approached and didn't report it. So I think gambling at the lower levels of tennis, you know, players are very hungry to make a living and they're approached by, you know, bookies or, you know, these types of things. And, and it's very tempting for them and and they get involved in that because they can make more money, you know, doing that than winning even a futures event. So I think it's, it's a, it's a black mark in our sport. Uh, The tennis and the integrity unit is doing the best they can to, uh, to control it. Um, and you know, as a tournament director, I, you know, there's no place in that for our sport and, um, we just have to, uh, you know, that, that TIU unit, uh, has to, has to continue to, to monitor it and do the best they can. So it's unfortunate. Matt's over the course of many years, I was accused of, of throwing, you know, a number of matches and I, I assured people, no, I'm just that bad. Uh, was this ever something that was, was going on during your, during your prime that you felt like something was going on that was unsavory along these lines? 
Oh, no, no, not gambling at all, but uh, throwing matches. I mean, uh, I think tennis players will always throw. Uh, we will throw points, we throw games, we will even throw a set. And at times you even throw a match because, because you're tired. I'm not saying that I have ever thrown a match, but I think that that happens regularly. And sometimes it's even better for the player. If you take a break, he's tired and he doesn't really want to need to win another match. So, uh, but I think that the ATP has taken a very important step uh, and I believe it was a couple of years ago, where uh, no tennis match that ha has ATP ranking points in it is played without cameras. So every single match that is played that where you can win ATP ranking points is uh, videotaped somehow. It's streamed somewhere. It's shown on television somewhere. So I think that was the big step because in the past, some of the futures tournaments where you can actually get a point were not televised or streamed and no one really knew what was going on. So I think that's a huge step and that's the first step in the right direction. Uh, but I think this is a problem that it's not going to go away as long as you can be ranked 300 in the world in tennis. Now 300 players in the NBA or European football or uh, professional ice hockey, you're making some seriously good money. 300 ranked tennis player in the world, tennis is a big sport. He's not making any money at all. So if somebody approaches that guy with, hey, you throw this match, I give you $25,000, that's his yearly salary. I think that's the problem. So I think we need to uh, somehow get the sport to uh, pay more money to the lower-ranked players, and maybe this problem could be solved. Marcelo Rios loses to Petr Korda in the finals of the Australian Open in his post-match interview. says, well, at least I made enough money to pay my gambling debts while I was in Australia. A red flag for the sport or no? Well, uh, again, <laughs> he's a character. Marcelo Rios, one of the most talented players of all time, and he was a character on court, off the court as well. Uh, a little bit like Nick Curious at times, to be honest. Um, a lot of trick shots and, and maybe not the same sense of humor. Final word, Mats Vilander, French Open, U.S. Open, both happening, you on both calls. What's the deal? Give us the last word on those. Yeah, the, the one thing that worries me the most is that some of the European players are not going to want to come to America uh, because there is a quarantine period. If you're coming from America and you're going to Europe, there's a quarantine period of a couple of weeks in certain countries, certain, certain nationalities, and that is going to stop some of the Europeans from coming to the U.S. Open, which then will obviously hurt the U.S. Open. But at the same time, Americans want to see Americans do well, and this is a, a golden opportunity. The French Open, I feel the French Open is going to be a pretty serious tournament, uh, and the Europeans are going to get ready for the clay courts, uh, and uh, and hopefully they make the trip over here. But I wouldn't cross my fingers about the U.S. Open. The French Open, I think, could become uh, a sort of typical Grand Slam that will be counted in the future. He's Matt Svelander, former number one in the world, seven-time Grand Slam champion, and a Wimbledon doubles champion as well. Johnny Levine, two-time All-American at the University of Texas, my teammate, former top 100 player in the world. This has been kickserveradio.com's Something About Mary. We, of course, want to thank the great Mary Carrillo for joining us tonight. And uh, we hope that you'll catch up with us next time on kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. When I find myself in times of trouble 
Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be.